Strap in, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the new edition, new revamped, the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast with your hosts, Cody and Leo. Hey, everybody. So our our big hope here is that our audio sounds better. We're using a different app. We're using mics. Um, and so if you stuck by with us until now, hopefully you continue. And if this is your first episode, well, welcome. Yeah. So today's episode, uh, we're mainly going to focus on TNA, the early years. Um. But before we get into that, we I guess we'll we'll touch a little bit on some of the stuff that's going on in wrestling today. So I guess big thing today, uh, the day we're recording this is June 14th. Uh, AEW All Out sold out in 15 minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's. Well, I got my crazy. tickets. I guess I'm going. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I didn't even I didn't even try looking at no. tickets. No, I didn't. Um, I think I'm pretty grounded. I don't think uh, I'm going to do a big wrestling show this year since we went all out for Starcast and Double or Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the wife won't even let me go to that show in Salt Lake. So yeah, I because I, isn't WWE live down at? Salt Lake on Sunday. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, in our, in our, in our area, um, Saturday, June 15th, Devotion Pro Wrestling is having a show at the Gateway in Salt Lake City, um, which I really wanted to go to check them out, see what they're about. I think a lot of their UCW stars are actually uh, fighting for that promotion now. And they're bringing Jordan Grace from Impact Wrestling, and she's fighting Marty Daniels, which I would really like to see. Mm-hmm. So for those of you in that area who can attend, um, please check that out. Send us pictures. We'll post them on our social media. Um, and then June 16th, uh, SmackDown brand is coming, WWE Live, to uh, the Maverick Center in Salt Lake City. Um, I guess another show that's coming up, uh, June 30th in Maryland. So this is East way East, uh, buddy of ours is running his inaugural show. Uh, his name's rich and the promotion is called C3 wrestling capital combat championship wrestling. 
Um, so for those of you in that area, uh, support him, support that promotion. Um, we will put up pictures, videos, whatever we can get our hands on since we won't be able to attend that. Um, and hopefully, uh, we've been exchanging messages. We are hoping to have Rich on our show as well here in the next week or two mm-hmm. to help promote that, kind of talk about what got him into wrestling to begin with. Yep, for sure. You want to talk about some of the other people we're planning or you want to just wait? Um, no, we can kind of, yeah, we can bring them up. Um, so from UCW zero, um, a guy by the name of Ricardo Aguayo, uh, also known as Los Machi Paco. Um, he recently, uh, first part of, um, May, right? Or June. Anyway, he recently just had his, uh, I guess, his retirement match. Um, He's been wrestling for a lot of years, I think 17 in total. Uh, All with UCW Zero based out of the Salt Lake area. Um, Been trading messages back and forth with him. Uh, Just trying to set up a time where we can have like a pre-interview on the phone and then get him on the pod. And... uh, same thing, talk about his start in wrestling and all that stuff. He ended up having his last match against another UCW Zero alum, uh, Martin Cassius. Um, is that how you say it? Cassius or Cassius? Or something. Cassius? Yeah. Anyway, Marty the Moth from Lucha Underground, uh, whatever season it was, a tough enough when Stone Cold was hosting it, he was on it. Um, big guy out of the Salt Lake area. Uh, does a lot of indie shots. I, we've seen him, like I said, Lucha Underground. Uh, I think he might have even done an impact here and there. Um, all over YouTube. Um, all over social media. And then also um, two other guys. So thanks to Brendan from the Brendan and Kevin show. Brendan's actually already interviewed this guy and is going to be having this episode come out. When exactly, I don't know. We'll keep you up to date on that. And then we're reaching out to him uh, to come on our pod. A guy by the name of Wes, also also known as in his wrestling uh, character or persona as Beast. And uh, he fights for... Um, versus pro wrestling out of Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, he wants to come on the pod. Brendan had told him about us, and he wants us to get in touch with him. Uh, They recently just announced that they're opening up kind of like a dojo there in uh, Las Vegas, and they're partnering with Vampiro. I've seen that. Uh, um, I forget the name of the thing. I'd have to pull it up, but... Um, and then another guy, which Brendan also, so thanks again, Brendan. Um, he told me about a guy that I actually, that actually grew up in my hometown of Ely, Nevada, um, by the name of Eric Sims. And when he was living in Texas during his military time or during that time, he had served in the military um, he was fighting for 
the NWA or the National Wrestling Alliance under several different promotions. Um, and he wrestled for a couple of years. Um, mostly he told me, and I've been trading texts back and forth with him. He was mostly used as enhancement talent. Um, but we want to also have him on the pod um, to talk about his story. And he's, he's still into wrestling. He still watches it. Um, probably he was saying not as prominently as he used to. He was a late bloomer into pro wrestling. And uh, so he also is going to be coming on the pod here in hopefully here in a few weeks. And then we're just going to try to, uh, through some of these people, make some contacts, maybe get some other people. And so uh, hopefully my wife today actually. Oh, I thought you said you're going to have your wife on. No. So I did bring that up to her that we were going to do an episode of the wives of the unprofessional wrestling podcast. And, uh, I never got any words. I just got a really significant eye roll. Um, although she does support this and totally gets it. Uh, I don't think she wants to be on the podcast. Um, and then, she actually came up with a really good idea. She told me to make a list of 15 people that I want to interview, like whether they're way unattainable at this point or just, and we're not going to base this podcast completely off interviews. Um, you know, we're going to do episodes like the one we're going to do today, the rise and fall of TNA wrestling. Um, but, make a list of 15 people and check them off as we go, you know, start with number one being the, if I got this one, this would be, this would be like career defining or whatever, you know? So just some goals, I guess. Yeah. And then I threw out a pretty, pretty heavy goal the other day and, (laughs) but We'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> All right. So I guess but I did get a cool Father's Day gift. What'd you get? Uh, my kids made me a wrestling belt oh, or nice. a wrestling title, not a belt. You can't. They. Uh, yeah. Well, we're not part of I'll have to send you a picture here. of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, so, so I guess. Um, not a lot of stuff on WWE, really. Uh, I do have a, a fan question or comment, which I think can take up our WWE time. Uh, but before we get into that, so there's a lot of, I think, good stuff coming out of New Japan. I posted some stuff on our social media regarding Will Ospreay and how I think his 2019 could become equivalent to or better than maybe Kenny Omega 17 and 18, not just because of the five-star matches he's put on lately, but he seems on like, I felt like they were kind of transitioning to maybe take, have Jay white take that. And then he was hot for a little bit, but right now Osprey is, he's stealing the show. He's stealing the show with Moxley and Jericho and Okada on the card. Yeah. And so I hope they they keep that rolling with him and and um hopefully he comes into his own and he's he's good there for New Japan. Do you have anything to comment on that? Yeah. Uh 
Yeah. I mean, I seen you post that on the Facebook or the social media pages the other day. And yeah, I completely agreed with it. Like Kenny was huge those two years. I mean, solely was the, the backbone for new Japan, but obviously Kenny is no longer, um, but yeah, Osprey, the match, uh, best of the Super Juniors final with uh, Shingo, Shingo, or however you say it. Um, that was that was a five star match, and I'm not really big into the Meltzer rating system. Like to me, if it's a good match, it's a good match. My rating system, like I've said before on the pod, if I'm standing, like nose to the TV. Uh, I'm it's good because if it's just one of those average Monday night raw TV matches where they have segment breaks and all that, I'm not, yeah, I'm not digging it that much. Um, but, and then he followed it up against dragon Lee at dominion for the junior title. I think he's past the junior heavyweight division. And I know he's been trying to bulk up and everything, and he has gained some weight, some muscle weight and stuff. I don't know his exact kilo rating or his weight, but he's had matches against heavyweights. I mean, he faced Okada in the the anniversary show last year, and that was a good match. And that's two distinctly different titles. Okada is very brawly and hard-hitting, and Osprey is very technical, very British styled and high flying like crazy, obviously. Yeah. And he doesn't have bad matches. I haven't, I have never seen really a bad Osprey match. Yeah. I can't no. think of one. I, I think he has really good matches. I just think this year he's like really kicked it up. And so oh, yeah. hopefully his transition out of the junior heavyweight division starts this or, or the way the year ends is with him transitioning out. Cause I think he could really be a main event mm-hmm. guy, even if it's just after the intercontinental title here for, to start. But, yeah. Um, and I mean, he did the never open weight there for a little bit, but that belt so I I don't want to use the word. Well, that was like, a good undesirable, match. But he had that against Cobb, didn't he? It's Jeff kind Cobb. of weird. Like they don't really, yeah, because they had that at the. That's the one he defended against Cobb. Yeah, yep. at G One Supercard. So I mean, and now the never open weight title is back on Tomari or Ishi. Tama, yeah, Ishi. Yeah. So, and he's held that belt like a hundred times, I feel. Yeah. And they just, I don't know. It, it, I'm not saying it doesn't have prestige. It's just, it's just kind of like, it's like the mid card belt. It's they not just, one of the, so like in, in New Japan, I think the, the Intercontinental is really up there. And obviously the, the heavyweight title, like those are really, really up there. That's one yeah, that you want to shoot for. The belts, titles, sorry, I won't use the belt word. Uh, the titles in New Japan mean something. Like the IWGP heavyweight tag titles and the IWGP junior tag titles. I mean, they've been held by the best of the best, like G.O.D. currently. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen that video after their match at Dominion. Um, 
but they they're backstage. You know how New Japan kind of does that interview style backstage promo shoots. I didn't watch that. Um, no. um, they basically called out every like these are open tag titles. Like if you want them, come get them, and that, don't and let the fences the in Usos. America keep you back. And like they called out the Usos, which I fanboyed. <laughs> like oh please, yeah, that'll never. Please let that match happen. It won't. I mean, just gonna shut maybe I don't know. Right maybe there. if like one of the Usos gets arrested for DUI again, which apparently happens like every year. No, they got cleared on that one. See, you're just making up fake news now. All right, so I guess uh, we'll go into our our um, WWE comment question. Yeah, so this is from Saul. Um, and I'll, I'll quote it. I have the text here. It says, A lot of WWE fans bitch about not having long storylines or storylines that just quit. Right now they are running three long stories, and we don't support them. We bitch and moan about them. Maybe if we stood behind those stories, we could make WWE say, Hey, look, these type of stories work. Let's overdo it. Because the Shane story started before Mania and has continued. It has evolved and intertwined mm-hmm. Roman, Drew, Elias, Miz, and now the Revival. I'm not saying it's a great story, but it's been building and moving forward, establishing wrestlers and reinforcing reputations. Then you have the Mandy Rose story where she has been going after Amber Moon and Carmella. That story is moving and setting up. And then, of course, there is the 24-7 title story. WWE fans, we need to get... We need to back these stories so we can get more. What's your opinion on that? Uh, well, first of all, thanks, Saul, for sending us our first question for the pod. That's pretty awesome. Um, so he's right. I mean, the Shane story has been a pretty long running story is him being like this, you know, he's the best in the I world. Guess you can call him a heel. Yeah. I mean, that started at when they did the crown jewel. And if you look at it, I mean, him and Miz were in that Miz couldn't do the match. Shane intersects himself. They do the whole best in the world tag team thing for a minute. And then they turn against each other and that builds to mania. And then, kind of continues a little after mania and still has little snippets here and there where Miz is still trying to get one over. And now it's kind of shifted to where he's going after Roman. They just had the match at super showdown. Um, you always need a good heel in a story against your baby faces. Not saying Shane's a great heel, but he's got heat because of who he is. So if you put him in a bad guy role and a heel role, yeah, people are going to boom out of the building because, oh, well, he's Vince's son. And of course he gets, I don't particularly like the fact that Shane's working the top talent in the company. Yeah. But Shane also doesn't wrestle that bad. I mean, he's a spot monkey. He always has been. Yeah. But I don't know. So, um, I, you know, his thing saying the, that we we are getting these long stories, right? Which I guess, I mean, if you if you kind of take a step back and look at it, 
Um, he's right. The issue I see, and and this might, you know, maybe it, it's far out there, um, but we're a lot pickier with the WWE, and I've said that before. Like, we hold them to a higher mm-hmm. regard. Like, you're the biggest wrestling company in the world. You might try to brand yourself as entertainment, but what got you to where you're at is wrestling and being entertained because of the wrestling. Mm -hmm. I think no matter how hard they try or what kind of strides they make going forward, they are still going to get this from the fans. Honestly, the the only way to kind of stop this or make a shift, because you can come on and say, we're going to listen to the fans, we're going to totally change things up, and if the fans don't get it the next week, they're tuned out. They're like, no, it's the same old shit. Or they go two, three weeks where it's good. And then they have a bad raw or whatever. Oh, it's the same old shit. You know, we're picky like that. I feel like it's going to have to be a hard reset, whether that's uh, Hey, two week hiatus. Yeah. Longest running episodic television. That shit's got to go. It's got to go for two, three weeks for people to know what they're missing to hype stuff up with your social media, with everything else, and come back rebranded. Do different stage. Do everything different. If you really wanted to go different, have Triple H and Vince meet in the back and say, look, Vince, I'm still going to run everything, right? Vince is still going to get the go-ahead. But Triple H is going to come out. They're going to leak stuff to all the dirt sheets and say, Vince is stepping down, Triple H is head of creative or whatever. And just have that meeting between them two, you know, but leak it out so it's for real and kind of transition it to more NXT style. You know, what are they going to lose? They got nothing to lose. They're the biggest company in the world. They got to gamble a little bit to keep up with the rest of these as far as in-ring talent go because they have the best talent. They're just not utilizing it. They're too busy with, you know, some of these promos and and, uh, long storylines and commercial breaks in between at the wrong moments. Like, they just got to restructure that. But until they get a hard reset somehow, whether it's they go away for a week or two, completely kind of rebrand everything, kind of do a shift, um. I think they're they're going to keep getting that. And even after that, they're going to get some of that. But people aren't going to notice it until it's a big, big change. Yeah, you're right. So I don't see him doing the like two, three week hi- hi- hiatus because they really like pride themselves on the fact that Raw is one of the weekly or the longest running weekly episodic television television shows on tv for the last almost 30 years now you know since it's been on yeah but who gives a shit if you're putting out shit product i yeah i don't yeah i don't care and they need to they need to they need to get i don't want to say younger but they need to like open their creative windows i mean and a lot of that got brought up during that dean ambrose yeah they do yeah, so that's um, the thing is like you're stopping because right the now they're 
I mean, you watch Raw and SmackDown and it's like you're watching it with different lighting and you're watching it with a different ring skirt. And it's the same fucking thing. That's it. Yeah. Roman's on every show. Seth is on pretty much every show, which I get that. Those are your top guys. Yeah, but But, you're oversaturating the product. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with Becky. Remember how Uh, maybe this will change a little bit when they're on completely different. Yeah. I do. You know, like how hot she was and where she's at now. She's nowhere near where she was November, January. Even going into Mania, she was still hot. And now it's kind of like, yeah, she's there, but, you know. Yeah. And and the thing with Roman, when he came back, how hot he was, they've totally lost that again. He's back to old Roman when people are starting to boo him again. So. Yeah. Because they're not doing anything with it. Yeah, I mean, what they're doing... They're feuding him against Drew McIntyre every week, you know? Yeah, and they're not doing guys like Drew McIntyre any service. Like, he came in hot when he came back from NXT, you know? And he's just kind of been stagnant now. Braun, they had the opportunity with him. He's just a fucking... Like we've said many times. Yeah, there's, there's just no... I think that was a failed Vince. Failed Vince. Braun's a failed Vince experiment. Yeah. Like, yeah, failed Vince project experiment, whatever. Like they just, and I see the same thing that they're doing with Lars Sullivan. He comes in as this like enormous monster, this freak, like they bill him. And the last two matches he had is against the Lucha house party. Yeah. Not discounting anything. Those three do because they're all fun to watch, but the Lucha house party should be where they need to be, where they have been. And that's two five live. Yeah. They're cruiserweights. They're high flyers. If you're going to build that show two Oh five live as a cruiserweight show, then put your top cruiserweights on that show, which would suck because then guys like technically Ricochet should be on 205 Live because that's his style. He could work matches against Kalisto and Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik, you know, those guys. Yeah. But it would also get stagnant too. So I don't know. It just. <sighs> All right. Well, I think we all know WWE needs to just kind of like revamp a little bit, stop overproducing, oversaturating so much. And they say they want to make the third hour of Raw like Attitude Era esque. And that was the whole reason for the 24 7 title. The more and more I see on the 24 7 title, yeah, the belt's hideous. I get that. But you know what? It's making like. <laughs> The stuff that I'm seeing is funny stuff. The YouTube videos of our truth getting rolled up on a golf course by Jinder Mahal. Yeah. And in elevators. And it's funny. Yeah. You he's, know, it's he's the new crash probably poly. some of the best stuff they got. I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're almost 30 minutes in, so, Cody. Um, so I guess to answer or to comment on. On right. Saul's question is just 
yeah, I, it, they're doing stuff, but it's just, it's not resonating the way it should. And I'm with you. I'm with you. So I want to give them a chance, right. but you see the shit that's coming out of New Japan, the stuff that All Elite has planned. Um, and it's kind of like, fuck. You know, it's like the other day I watched the Super Juniors and then I went and watched Raw and SmackDown. I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I was the same I way. Watched, I watched that. I watched TakeOver. I tried watching Raw and... So, you know, that's kind of the thing. And until they shift and kind of where these these other areas are, are gaining that notoriety or, or those good matches, until they actually start putting some of that stuff on, I don't think people are gonna are gonna stop bitching. Us included. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's segue here into our TNA stuff. We wanna keep this around the hour mark. So we got 30 to 40 minutes to talk TNA. So I guess we can, we can start there from the beginning um, and you fill in where you need to. Don't try to ramble, Cody. I know how you like to ramble. So, (laughs) so um, TNA was started June 19th of 2002. So we're almost to the, what would that be, the 17-year anniversary of TNA? We're a couple days out. Um, and it was started yeah. by yeah. Jerry Jarrett and Jeff Jarrett. And the way it was started was they would have weekly iPay-per-views. They didn't have a television deal. They didn't have a television network. And from what I've read and what I've seen, Television networks were hesitant at the time to um, put a wrestling product out. With the wrestling, yeah, on on a network because of what had just happened with WCW on the main network, where it it got cut, it got sold um, by TNT, which was a big, big, uh, big cable uh, channel network. Um, so. People didn't want anything to do with wrestling. So the only way they could get their product out was the iPay-Per-Views for $10 a month. And mm-hmm. um, here I have it in my notes, but they did that for um, a few years or what was it? Maybe two years, close to two years. And then two 111 years. episodes is what I have here that they did. Um and then yeah. they got signed on. You can find a lot of them on YouTube under TNA Asylum Years. Yeah, and then they got signed on by Fox Sports Net June 4th, 2004, where it remained until May 2005. Um, and then the show began broadcasting episodes on Urban America Television and on the Internet between June 24th to September 16th, 2005 before securing a deal with Spike TV and the first show being on October 1st, 2005. And it was called impact. Yeah. TNA yep. impact. And that started airing Saturday nights before later moving to Thursday nights in April, 2006. And then it briefly moved to Monday nights in 2010. And we're going to keep this up to 2010 today. 
So what do you remember from the early years of TNA? Okay, so I didn't subs- do the like the $10 monthly iPay-per-views. Um, I stumbled across some like through YouTube and stuff, but, um, and following wrestling sites, but it was branded with the NWA as NWA total nonstop action or TNA. Um, and it introduced me to, uh, AJ styles a little more. I knew of him already, but, um, and then there was some, and they they shot a lot of it in Nashville at the fairgrounds. Um, like I said, you can find it on YouTube as the NWA TNA Asylum Years, and they have like I've seen all not I've not literally watched all hundred episodes of it, but they are all on there, like from there. And then now Impact has Impact Plus, which is an app, kind of like honor club and WWE network that you can go back and watch a lot of that stuff for a monthly subscription. But, um, I thought it was good because they, they stayed true to the NWA history. They had the original 10 pounds of gold, like has been brought back now again. Um, and they had some good stuff on and it was very wrestling oriented. It wasn't too promo heavy. Like not a whole lot of, uh, oversaturation of like entertainment, like you would see in WWE, but it introduced a lot of new guys and some older guys that have been around the business, like the Jerry Lynn's and, you know, stuff like that. But I, I personally, up until probably about 2011 i i watched tna wrestling pretty prominently like when it was on saturday nights on fox sports and obviously when it moved to thursday on i would set a recorder for it for my dvr and it would i would have imp, i would watch raws and then i would watch impacts and you know cuz there were some guys down there in tna that i liked so so uh, when I first stumbled upon it, I was, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it was on Fox Sports, which we got. And, you know, at the time, I knew nothing but WWE because WCW had been sold. There was nothing else, right? So I stumbled upon it just flipping through channels. And... um I started watching it, and then I recognized some of the guys on there. I think the first guy I recognized was Ron The Truth Killings and um, Road Dog, which they wrestled under different names mm-hmm. there, and they were part of the three live crew with Conan. And um, so I was like, oh, hey, I, I know who these guys are. And one thing that resonated with me at the time was they had – it was an hour show, and they had a 10-minute time limits. And so um, oh, yeah. they would do that. And uh, AJ Styles was there, you know, and he was, he, he was phenomenal. Back then he was, he would legit do things he doesn't do anymore. He doesn't need to, I guess, but he would do some crazy stuff. Like his TNA wrestling 
was amazing. If you guys enjoy yes. his wrestling in WWE, like it's it's good. You know, he's obviously gotten to where he deserves to be, but his stuff in TNA was just mind blowing. And um, yeah. you know, at one time, so this is during the I would say their best years were between 2005 to 2007, maybe 2008. And then they started, I don't think it was till 2010 when they kind of got too big for their britches, but they started. Yeah, they tried to start. They started bringing in a bunch of big names, you know, hey, this is going to help us grow. And this, they kind of started throwing cash at these big names. And as I think we've mentioned before on other podcasts, they became kind of like a WWE graveyard. But there was a time when I'll read yes, off exactly. I'll read off some of these names that were there. Um, consisted of AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Jeff Jarrett, the Dudley Boys, Eric Young, Bobby Roode, Raven, Rhino, Gail Kim, Alex Shelley, Chris Saban, Jay Lethal, LAX, America's Most Wanted. Um they even had some legends that were contributing in positive ways like Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner. And then they got the arrival of Kurt Angle. They had Sting, which came in in 2003. And then they got Christian, and they used him to his full abilities. And I really enjoyed Christian's TNA run. And this was all during those years. You know, we go back a little bit. They made Braun the Truth Killings a legit star. So back, you know, he was K-Quick in WWE, for those of you who don't know. Then he went to be Braun the Truth Killings in TNA, and he was a legit main eventer. He was good on the mic. He was um, legit. You know, he was – you could – you could resonate with him. And um, then he went back to WWE. One of the guys that doesn't get talked about a lot, and I'll, I'll get your opinion on him, is Monty Brown, the alpha male. Monty Brown. Do you remember him? Yes, I do. So he was so... trained. He was trained by Dan the Beast Severn and Sabu. He had some off appearances in 2002 and then officially became part of the roster in 2004 until about the summer of 2006. And yeah. he was another guy. Yeah, I like I, his TNA run was way better than his WWE run. Well, his his WWE run he, never I, took off. I don't even remember his WWE run. Yeah, well, it was he was only there for a yeah, year or so. I, I don't even remember it. Yeah. It was during the revamped so. ECW. Um, so, you know, one of the other things is they had some, some different types of matches too. They would do monster ball match, uh, full metal mayhem. Um, mm-hmm. they would do a pay-per-view and I don't know if they still do it called lockdown where the entire pay-per-view was inside of a cage. Uh, they would do the, don't forget the ultimate X and the yep. X division. Matches I was going either. to that. Yeah. The ultimate X. God. Those, those were crazy. Fuck. Um, yeah. And they had good guys. I mean, 
motor shooting machine guns, Alex Shelley, Chris Saban, uh, Frankie and Christopher Daniels back then. Um, America's most wanted James storm. And, uh, I forget the other guy's name. I just remember James storm, Harris. Chris Harris, wildcat yeah. Chris Harris. Um, and yeah, I mean, they had the exhibition title. Um, I guess the one thing that we really got to point out about, uh, TNA wrestling in those early years up until 2010 was the six-sided ring. You didn't see that in American wrestling. That was prominently done in Mexico, right? The six-sided ring. Yeah. So it was, it was something new because even me watching Lucha Libre, um, you didn't, you didn't see that a lot. And then around that time you started seeing it in Mexico as well. Mm -hmm. And some of the promotions, um, but yeah, it was the six-sided ring. It was different. Like you tune in and it was, it was different. It was good wrestling. Um, something that I don't think gets a lot of credit is the announced team of Mike oh, yeah. Tanay and Don West. Um, Dylan Don West. Yeah, I thought they they were pretty good, you know. And then later on, you got mm -hmm. Taz and Mike Tanay, which I think Taz is underrated. Um. Oh yeah, he was good because I was after he had left WWE and he was the SmackDown commentator for a lot of years yep. too. So, yeah, Taz is good on the mic. Some of the he big was things, cutting promos when he was. So a lot of the stuff we're gonna do is like some of the big things that happened was in that range between 2005 to 2008, and one of the biggest, if not the biggest, that made them legit was Kurt Angle jumping over. Um, Kurt Angle, oh, huge, was becoming one of my favorite guys in WWE when he left. Like when they did the ECW brand, and they put him in ECW, and he was the wrestling machine. I was like, man, this this is actually going to take off. They're putting a legit contender in this ECW rebrand, right? He was there what, a month or two, and then he's gone. Mm -hmm. He's off TV. Um, and then you see him show up on Impact. And these are the early days of internet. And I remember there was a big buzz saying, hey, Kurt Angle's on here. And, and me looking for links and trying to find um, where I could see this. And I think that made them legit. Because people remember Kurt Angle from WWE, and WWE is horrible about wanting to name other promotions. Like, if it's not their creation, they don't want anything to do with it, or they want to make it their own. You know, one of the things we'll get into maybe... Or they just flat make fun yeah, of it. One of the things we'll get into on the next episode is going to be the broken gimmick with Matt Hardy and how they tried to make it their own in WWE. But on this episode, some of this, some of Kurt Angle's wrestling in TNA is the best wrestling he's done as a professional wrestler. Like his stuff in WWE was good. He main evented WrestleMania. You know, he went up against Brock Lesnar at that WrestleMania that you attended. Um, he's He was a legit guy, a mm -hmm. legit guy, and he wasn't past his prime. His best stuff 
for those of you who haven't seen it, is in TNA. He had great matches there with Samoa Joe. That's another guy that if you guys enjoy his work in the WWE, you need to go back and see his TNA stuff because holy shit, he would do some crazy stuff. And, you know, just like AJ Styles, he'd go out there, put it all on the line. His best matches were in TNA. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he came in, he had the matches with Jarrett, with Samoa Joe, with Sting. Um, and then later on down the road, he had some great matches with Lashley. Like the Lashley they got in WWE, they made him into a joke, yeah. you know. He was a legit, he was yeah, he's, TNA's Brock Lesnar in those years, you know. And they had something to where they could have had that, that Lesnar versus Lashley, and it would have meant something. And they could have had how much they love Lesnar right now yeah. and how they just throw money at him. They could have had Lashley become the next Lesnar. They could have put him with someone that talks. They could have put him with, you know, even maybe a Mark Henry as a manager or somebody like that. And they could have built him up that way. But they haven't, you know. Uh, WWE didn't come up with that stuff that he had in TNA. So they just, nope, we're going to bring you in. You're going to be the almighty. Um, mm-hmm. But TNA did really good with all this stuff. During those years. Also during these years. Yeah, they um, weren't overly created, you know, overly creative like WWE is. Yeah. You know, they had the right guys backstage, I believe, booking matches. I mean, Dusty was down there for a little bit, you know, until he came back to WWE. Um, Vince Russo. You know, yeah. I mean... Surprisingly, yeah. I mean, even though he tried to do his Attitude Era spin because he had that uh that stable known as uh SEX. Yep. Uh Sports Entertainment Extreme or was that yep. what it was called? Yeah, I think that's what it was called. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it kind of started getting that stupid Attitude Era stuff kind of to it or like not Attitude Era like Rock and Austin but like more attitude era towards the WCW side when Vince Russo went to WCW and, you know, made David Arquette the world champion. (laughs) Yeah. So there was, there was, I think people still to keep him grounded um, at, at some of that stuff because uh, he's one of the guys I don't think should ever get last say in things. And I think that's kind of where WCW fucked up was kind of like, all right, you're the lead creative guy and, and kind of just let him run with it. And so in a way, I think having Vince. Yeah. They didn't care. Is good (laughs) for the WWE because good or bad, it goes through this guy, right? Like he's got the final say and stuff and, and he can put the leash on certain things. And I think Vince Russo, in my opinion, would be one of those guys that you, okay, you got some good stuff, like maybe 20% of the shit you go, you, you make is good, which is fine. Like, it's not all going to be winners. Keep trying, but we're going to use this 20%. We're going to put it in the mid-card segment, 
and people are going to laugh. They're going to get a kick out of it. It's going to be great. But when I'm not going to give you the whole show to run and take free reign on. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he was there. He was there with TNA until what about 2006? Yeah, he was only there a couple of years. And then he yeah. left and then came back at the end of 2006. Um, that he, he was hired back by Dixie Carter to become part of the new TNA creative team, uh, replacing Mike Tanay and Scott D'Amore and help book along mm. with Jarrett and Dutch Mantel. So he was the lead creative writer. Um, his first bookings occurred again on September 25th, 2006. So yeah. He he did pretty yeah. good. And I think another thing that we need to also bring up is the fact that during a lot of that time, uh, TNA was uh, recorded in one area. It was always recorded at Universal Orlando in the impact zone. Uh, like it started out early on in the TSA, TNA Asylum in the fairgrounds in Nashville. Um, and I honestly sometimes think if they would have just stayed there, even though, I mean, they did in early 2010, like when Bischoff and Hogan came in and then they tried to like start going and being a touring series. Yeah. They even came out this and one. Obviously they came out to, to Salt Lake and Boise, yeah. but I couldn't go at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But did some shows down in Vegas. And I mean, in a way now present day impact wrestling, they'll go to an area. They primarily do it like, so like when they do slam anniversary, then they'll stay there a couple extra days and they'll do TV tapings for weeks and weeks and weeks to come. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, yeah. And so when they book themselves out. And I think they're definitely on the rebound right now. You know, but back then, during this time, you yeah, know, we've, they've went through several. Yeah, we've we've gone through kind of um, the who was there at the time. You know, how many of these guys are your main event guys mm-hmm. or your go to guys or have some role in WWE now? You know, one of the guys that helped mm-hmm. in the back. Uh, Chris Borash, he's with WWE now. He's helping them. You know, you got AJ Styles. Jeremy, Jeremy Borash. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, you got Samoa Joe, who was there. You have Sting, WWE Hall of Famer now. Um, Christian, very underrated. Um, you had Abyss. We haven't even touched on Abyss. Abyss was legit. Yeah, Joseph Park. No. That's where they fucked him yeah, up. And now Abyss is a backstage guy for yeah. WWE. <laughs> you know, and there for a while when when Jeff Hardy was hot. You, you remember how hot he was in WWE? Then he had all that mental and, and kind of bad things with drugs going on. And mm-hmm. he left WWE. Next thing you yeah. know, he's on TNA. And... um 
you know, I had him. Um, Jarrett always kind of stayed at the top, good or bad. Like his matches weren't yeah. the best, um, but he was a good heel, which is what he always played yeah. pretty much, you know. Um, but you did get guys there uh, that, that were the main focus. Like they really put a focus on the X division, which was like your cruiserweight guys. They weren't all cruiserweights because you had like Samoa Joe as X division champion. You had other guys like that, but there were guys who were going to go out there and put on a good performance. They were not just going to, it was more branded as a style more than anything. The X division style, which was kind of like a hard hitting high flying offense, uh, big risk, um, the X division matches for those of you who've never seen an X division match, uh, uh, the ultimate X match, you should go and, and watch those. Cause those, those are pretty good. So for those of you who haven't seen them, uh, pretty much what it is, is there's an X on the top of the ring. So like 15, 20 feet in the air. Um, and it's made of like ring rope that, it makes the X across the top of the ring and there's big metal pillars on the side of the ring that hold this X in place. And then in the middle of it, there's either an X, which it it makes you like the number one contender for the X division championship, or they actually hang the title up there. They've also done them with tag titles. Yeah. And your goal is to get up there and get those. And you can get ladders. You can do whatever you want in the match to get them. A lot of the wrestlers would climb up the pillars on the side and then get on that rope and get to the middle of the ring and unstrap the belts. And then they would do moves off those metal pillars, uh, falls off those ropes. It's crazy stuff that they would do. And so I think stuff like that really put tna on the map um yeah because you weren't seeing that anywhere no and i i think it it was the first thing that kind of um like indie indie style wrestling in the mainstream that's a good way of putting it yeah and um one of the other things we've talked about is right now there is a huge movement with the women's division, right? Like women's wrestling since 2015 in the WWE main roster has been the big thing, like big enough to where they even shove it down your throat just to say, look what we're doing with women, right? TNA did this. Mm -hmm. Give divas a chance. Hashtag give divas a chance. Yeah, and, and and I mean, what started it with WWE, it started around 2012. What's that? And, and NXT. Yeah. Um, but TNA did it yeah. way before them. And it was something that I was like, oh, shit, you yep. got girls on here that actually wrestle? And it was in 2007 where they actually started the knockouts division. Gail Kim was the inaugural champion. She won it at Bound for Glory. And they had some good wrestlers to start. They had Gail Kim, that awesome Kong, they had Mickey James, they had Tara, who was formerly Victoria in WWE, 
Velvet Sky, Angelina Love, Madison Rain, ODB, Taryn Terrell, Rosemary, Sue Young. Um, who else did they have? They had, they had some other ones there, didn't they? Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Brooke Tessmacher. Yep. And then. Which she was. Yeah. She was in WWE for a little bit when they did the whole revamped ECW. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the the matches, probably the best thing. I'm not saying all the women were great workers. But. Um, the thing that they gave them, which now WWE has started since 2015, especially on the main roster, is giving them time. That was the biggest thing. And getting them the right people to train. Uh, sent a lot of them to Lance Storm up in Canada. Uh, they just had the right people working with the women and did the number one thing and just gave them time to work. And then obviously they had good ones like Gail Kim, who's probably one of the best women's wrestlers. I mean, accolade wise. Yeah, probably not like not comparable to like a Charlotte or a Trish, Trish Stratus, but a way better wrestler. Yeah. And you had um, Mickey James, you know, and then Tara, like the ones who legit wrestled in WWE, you know, they went there yeah. when WWE was going after swimsuit models. This is where these girls ended up and they put on some great matches too. So if you're a fan of Mickey James, Gail Kim or Victoria from WWE, look up some of their stuff in TNA, because again, that's where they put on their best wrestling performances. Yep. And you know, one of the- and a lot of, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say a lot of uh, a lot of those same women now, um, you know, and they had some other ones too, like some lower n- no name ones, but they'd put on great matches. They had, you know, they had knockouts tag titles, which yeah, was done before women's tag titles in WWE or the newly revamped, even though way back in the day, WWE had women's tag titles, but yeah, I mean, and you'd see ones come through like Santana Garrett and girls like that, who are now prominently really big indie wrestlers that jump all over. And then current crop like Tessa, who are just flat ass amazing to watch, you know? Yeah. And Jordan Jordan Grace. Yep. And so, you know, so, these are all great things. It looked like TNA was on the up and up. They had a, they even had a video game out around, I want to say, 2008 to 2010 sometime. I mean, the video game sucked, but they had a video game out. Like, that's, that's pretty big. Yeah, and they had a pretty decent merchandise line. Our buddy Don West from StarCast uh, we would do the Don West deal of the day. And yeah, I mean, they had good merch. All their top stars had merch. They had, you know, just like WWE, action figures, games, DVD box sets. Yep. 
there know, was uh, I mean they had they had a good talent roster and they had good people running it, yeah. you know, for the most part. Some of the other stuff or some of the other guys that I haven't mentioned but that were there pretty early on and were part of, you know, like one of the best matches I think in TNA history is a three-way between Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, and AJ Styles. Now, Christopher Daniels was there. Oh. Frankie Kazarian was there. Ball and yep. Angel. Um, who else was there? There was another guy. Uh, we mentioned Jay Lethal. Low-key. Low key, the, homicide. The Amazing Red. LAX. The original LAX. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then... You know, we're we're probably diving into pet like after 2010, but um, Xavier Woods got his start in TNA. I mean, they didn't know what to do with the kid, but he was there. CM Punk did a little run down in. Yep, CM Punk. CM Punk did a little run down there. Um, Seth Rollins they, as Tyler Black. Yeah, they had Shinsuke Nakamura, and they had a working relationship. This was early on. This is about. With yep, Japan. 2008 to yeah. 2010. That Shinsuke Nakamura on there. Um, I want to say Okada was also there. This might have been a little bit later. I was just going to see if you were going to bring that up. Uh, so Okada, when he was on his excursion after being a young boy, remember when Samoa Joe was doing the whole Green Hornet thing? Yeah. Because they were helping produce or... Uh, promote that movie who was and who was the sidekick the green hornet what was his name in the comic book? i don't know i know who you're talking about though yeah yeah so that was i didn't realize this till years later because i wasn't really following much new japan stuff and probably didn't know who most young boys were but okada was samoa joe's sidekick huh. the greatest iwgp heavyweight champion of all time yeah. Was a fucking sidekick to Samoa Joe. Like they had no idea Sonata was down there. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, just, just some of the guys they some had. top stars in New Japan. Yeah, they had I mean, this is after two thousand ten, but they had the Young Bucks. They were known as Generation Me, but those guys were there. You know, they had talent upon talent upon talent. And um, you know, some of their best years, as we've, as we've said, was 2006 to 2008. Then they started bringing in some of these other stars. We mentioned before how Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner were kind of there. Then they started taking a little bit more prominent roles. Then Booker T came in. Um, who else came in that they just launched into the spotlight? Uh Scott Hall. Who? Um, Scott Hall was. Didn't Scott Razor Ramon? Scott Hall. Yeah, go down he was kind of off and on. Bit? Like he was no show. During the asylum years. Yeah, yeah off and on. Uh, X Pac. Yeah. Uh, Sean Waltman. Raven was in and out a couple times. Tommy Dreamer's been in and out a ton. Um, I mean, just a who's who of. Legends, Mick Foley, Ric Flair. I mean, Ric Flair supposedly had retired from wrestling after WrestleMania yeah, 24, and then not even a year up. later is having 
matches in TNA. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it, you know, and, and during these years, they, they were, they were mostly focused on the wrestling product on building their guys. And then right. they started bringing in a lot of these outside guys and, and the Vince Russo stuff kind of started showing there around 2009, 2010, where they were really gaining steam. Um, and it was it was a lot more focus on you know some of these older guys or they stopped building on on these foundation that they had which was like AJ Styles Samoa Joe um uh Jeff Hardy what they did with Hardy like Hardy was good coming in and then he had that for those of you who don't know it's a a pretty famous pay-per-view um do you have it down in your notes? The one where he was inebriated and he went out to wrestle against Steam. Yeah, wasn't that a? I want to say it was a slam anniversary. I can look it up really quick. Um, but I want to say, I want to say it was a slam anniversary. I don't remember what year exactly. Yeah, so it was Victory Road. Um. Oh, okay, Victory Road. If I'm correct. So this is after 2010. I thought it was before. We can talk about this next week because it's a pretty, pretty big role into uh, the downfall of TNA, I believe. Um, So Mm -hmm. for those of you who haven't seen it or heard of it, Google it. It's on on YouTube. Uh, Victory Road. 2011 sting versus jeff hardy um but you know as as we've said and it's we're not going by dates we're kind of going a lot of by memory by stuff we've looked back up on and brushed up on but what we want to convey to our listeners was tna's product its wrestling product was amazing during those years um they had mm-hmm. some great guys. Another spot that you guys can look up, and I don't know if you remember this, Cody, but I replayed this shit over and over when I was younger. It was um, Elix Skipper, and it, it, primetime Elix Skipper. He's not very well known, but he had some good runs there in TNA. And it was during a lockdown pay-per-view, and he goes from it was the six-sided cage but he goes from one end of the cage to the other like kind of like tightrope like walking the the cage and then does like a super hurricane run off the top of frankensteiner and then you hear don west calling it it's 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 Mm -hmm. a good moment i remember that um don west is an underrated color commentator yeah like he pops he doesn't I mean, to me, like, oh, you don't got guys like that. He was, I liked him. Yeah, in the WWE main roster, you don't got guys that are like, like, they're supposed to make you feel what's going on in the ring. You know, Michael Cole's best shit is like, that's vintage, whatever. You had Mike Tanay that was always the statistician. You know, he does this, this is his weight. He's did this, he wrestles this style. You know, all that kind of like 
historian type yeah. shit. And then Don West was just he was the pop guy. the play by play guy and yeah, he was the pop guy. Yeah. And even listening to him like when we were standing in lines at Starcast and stuff and he was standing there doing the deal table. Yeah, we I mean he's the same guy that I remember. That voice resonated to me. Yeah. Don West can still kind of like shit. a Jim Ross does, you know, and guys like that. We bought a bunch of shit from Don West. Yeah. I mean, he's selling the shit out of that. <laughs> I know that motherfucker made me go broke. <laughs> Apparently. So I listened to a Colt Cabana podcast the other day and he was like literally legitimately when he was at Starcast walking around and interviewing people and he interviewed Don West and I listened to that part and he was like telling Colt, like, I could have made you a millionaire if you'd let me sell your merch, you know, and just, and now he does like radio sports talk back, back East somewhere. I can't remember exactly where it's at, but like for baseball and stuff like that, like he's got one of those true sports announcing voices that where he was calling a touchdown, it would be the same, you know? So is there anything else you wanted to touch on during these years? not really just the fact that, I mean, there was so many in and out people like obviously the insurgence of Kurt Angle coming over, I think was probably the biggest during that time. Um, obviously they had swapped partnerships, you know, Dixie Carter was more prominent as the head person. Jeff was kind of in and out. They had the big actual real life feud going on with Jeff Jarrett and Kurt Angle because of, Karen Jarrett because Kurt and Karen were getting a divorce and she started that or being yeah uh with Jeff Jarrett which they are currently now married yeah this was in 2009 um, too. you know everybody's yeah and though those series of matches between Kurt and Jeff like you felt the realism in them I mean they weren't doing anything deliberate to hurt each other, but there was some legit heat between those two. Well, yeah, I mean... But it transcended in a good way to the ring. And they put on... That's probably some of Jarrett's best matches in TNA. Yeah. And he had a lot of matches in TNA because he was, a, of course, featured himself as a top guy, which, you know, he'd been featured as kind of a top guy some other places, but like obviously owning the company and having a big shareholding in the company helped him position himself as a top guy. Yeah. So that was kind of a, a callback to the, the stuff like, uh, do you remember? And this was early day internet when Matt Hardy and edge and Lita had all that stuff going on too. And then they put on an actual wrestling program People were enthralled by that. And this this kind mm-hmm. of went back to that. Yeah. Because it's like, fuck, like, yes. I don't know how I could do it. You know, my lady's off with this other dude, and now I got to go out here and wrestle him and protect him. And, you know, he's putting his life in my hands. And yet a lot of our promos. Yeah, and one botched yeah, step. A lot of our promos, a lot of our stuff is uh, legit. Like, this is actually how I feel about him. But now I got to go out there and perform and be professional. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Took a lot. I mean, they did good business. So um, one thing I think we need to touch on is the fact that when exactly did NWA come out and they just were branded just as TNA Impact and then introduced the TNA world title? Because the NWA took off and then it kind of fell into a little bit of obscurity again where it wasn't the main prize on the title or it wasn't the main prize anymore. I want it. Now it was the TNA World Heavyweight I want to say it's around the time Angle came in, and I could be wrong, um, but I think they were already on Spike when they had switched the title and it wasn't the NWA title anymore. Let me see if, if, right. I, can, if I can find it real quick. Yeah, I seen something on it because I had to go back and research it because I wanted to see what time the NWA solely took their name off of it. Because obviously early on, it was known as NWA TNA, like I said. And they kept the NWA title because Christian held it. Kurt actually held the original NWA title. I think he was one of the last ones. And it was, you're right, it was after they had debuted on Spike. And then shortly after that, then they started debuting the TNA titles, like the TNA heavyweight title. So it happened in 2007, uh, May 13th, 2007. Okay. Um, here, I'll read you the what I got here. Okay. Um, it says, NWA announces it would end their relationship with TNA wrestling effective immediately. News of the split as reported by PW Torch. And it says... PW Torch has learned that TNA Wrestling and the NWA have agreed to a split of their partnership. Um, well, it goes into a big thing about other stuff, but it says the split yeah, was first reported really back in March and had been in the works for some time. The main issue stems from rights fees the NWA did not receive for TNA running shows in their area. In addition, TNA's national profile increased dramatically after getting a national TV deal with Spike TV in 2005. In essence, it was only a matter of time before the split ultimately went down. So yeah, there you go. Now you know. There you go. So um, to everybody who's listened to this, I hope we were able to kind of convey some of the stuff. I know it's kind of touch and miss and... Um, we didn't go date by date, but I figure if you guys are really interested on the subject, you can go and do a quick Google search. We just wanted to touch. Yeah. YouTube. Yeah. We wanted to yeah. touch on some of the good stuff they did. Cause during this time, like it was great TV. It was really good was. stuff. It was an alternative to WWE. All, WWE at that time was doing decent stuff. Not like they are today. <laughs> Um, but they were doing some good stuff. At so, this time. which reminds me, you know, Cody, I want to, in the future, we need to do, uh, a ruthless aggression era podcast. So I want to do one from like 2002 mm. to 2006. Yeah. 2007. Smackdown was better than raw. Yes. Because those were my yeah. years. Yep. That was around that time. The height of Cena coming up. Yeah, yep. that was Eddie Guerrero. That's really Chris when Benoit, Cena started becoming prominently, you know, Randy. Edge, Rey Mysterio. Yeah, that was that was a good yep. time. So we'll need to do a future episode on that. Um, but this stuff with TNA, you know, go back, rewatch some of their stuff. 
next week we are going to touch on some of the issues they had going forward. So 2010, that brought the arrival. Yeah, because a lot of them started 2010 to... Yeah. So they... Probably 2012 is when they really did their dip. Yep. And which which is sad because at, when it around this time, I was like, oh man, these guys... Like, I didn't think... Well, we'll touch on it next week. But, you know, this is where they introduced Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan... Then they brought in like Mick Foley, Ric Flair, um, these other legends, you know, legit legends, and um, kind of took their their eye off the prize there. Um, so mm-hmm. I hope this audio has been better for you guys. You know, we've put some money into this. We're trying to get better. So any comments, any feedback that you guys have would be greatly appreciated. Um, there is some lag between you and I, Cody. Um, but I think there was a little bit last week too, and we were able to fix it in post-production. So hopefully our audience gets that as well. Um, but if it's off a little bit, you know, we'll work on it. We'll get better next week. Um, so for those of you who have joined us, you know, Thanks. Uh, We'll touch on TNA again next week. And uh, Cody, I I think I might be able to get us a quick, maybe five to 10 minute interview with the Golden Rooster. Yeah. Next week? I mean, if you're down. Or now. uh, I don't know. I don't think about now, but maybe we could start it off next week. I got. We got to schedule it. He's he's a big deal. You know, I've. <laughs> yeah, I know he's. Well, so he thinks he's a big deal. Oh, you're. But I don't know if you're going to get ripped apart next week. You keep the shit am up. I flirting with disaster? You might here? just cancel that appearance now. Well, you know what? Well, so my. For those of you that listened early on in the show, and hopefully you're still listening, <laughs> but my big, my big elaborate way left field thing was that one day we would run our own show, book our own show, bring in talent, like all under our own pro wrestle pod. Like, so I mean, if the Golden Rooster wants to call me out, I was going to put him on the show, but. You know what? Fuck him. Oh. You know, as bad luck fall A says, fuck him. Fuck him. All right, man. Uh, it's your funeral. Instead, I'll, you know, I'll go get me a, I'll go get me a, uh, a better luchador like Nacho or. He fucked up Nacho. You know, shit, Kalisto, maybe. Yeah, I guess. I mean, if you want to be the funeral. Well, yeah. We'll see what happens next But week. Nacho's a fat, a fat white guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I hope you're ready for that. Whenever the golden rooster knows he has a, he has a, an invite whenever he wants. Well, I mean, that might just be the podcast that puts us over. (laughs) Uh, you know, he's going to up this fee. If you were going to talk shit, you could at least wait until next week. Now he's going to charge me more. Oh, I'm going to, so, 
You need to calm your shit. You talk your shit. Just next pay him. Week. Just pay him in tam- Just pay him in. Like, give him a couple dozen tamales, and he'll be all right. <laughs> the disrespect. Sorry that that was that probably came that is probably a little racist, but oh, you're fine. Um, for all our Hispanic listeners out there, I'm sorry, <laughs> and my Hispanic co-host. So he he's. <laughs> Quite possibly maybe on. Maybe not because Cody fucked this up right now, but we're trying to get him on. So if you guys have any questions for the Golden Rooster, um, drop them at unprofessionalfans at gmail.com or, you know, drop something, messages on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We check those regularly. And, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Hopefully he shows and – and uh, we'll do that at the beginning, touch a little bit on wrestling, and then go into the last couple years of TNA. All right. Mm-hmm. And then bring you up to speed on whatever other news in the wrestling world is going. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. And as always, stay unprofessional. Thank you for joining.